Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. This episode, my guest is Jonathan Taylor. A little business to take care of right up front. For those of you who have written in, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, saying some nice things. Some people have some suggestions. I appreciate them sometimes. (laughs) If they're good suggestions, I try to get to uh, all the mail that people send in. And if I'm a little late, I apologize. And if you want to write me, it's Travel Tales Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's Travel Tales Podcast at gmail.com. Our website is, of course, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, check out the photos, the articles, uh, some destination recommendations, all the good stuff. You can see video of our guests, and uh, yeah, it's a really cool site. Check it out, and when you go to the front page, you can scroll down to the bottom and see links, little button links for all our social media. And by that, I mean our Facebook page. Give us a like, everyone. iTunes, of course. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe. It's free. And while you're at iTunes, hey, why not give us a nice rating? That helps people find the show, boosts our presence, and I really want to get higher up on the rankings of travel podcasts, so that would be awesome. And while you're at it, why don't you tell about a million of your friends to tune in? That would be kind of cool. Just subscribe, will you? It's all free. And uh, we got links to our Instagram page, our Twitter page, all that stuff. So uh, go to TravelTalesPodcast.com and hit the links. All right, let's get to our guest, Mr. Jonathan Taylor, a nice young man who I had the pleasure of meeting when I sat down with him and recorded this interview. I didn't really know him. We had only talked on uh, an email. He sent me an email. And see what happens when you send an email, folks? You write in. You might even get on the show yourself. So here we are. Enjoy my talk with Jonathan Taylor. I'm sitting here with Jonathan Taylor, who I just met five minutes ago. <laughs> That's right. Do people call you JT? Is yep. That what, okay. There's a lot of, there's a couple Jonathan Taylors in my world, so JT is usually pretty easy. Yeah. There's a lot of JTs out there, too. Yes, there are, but in my world, there's less JTs than there are Jonathans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your world? You were in production? I work in production. I'm a camera assistant um, of any realm, and uh, I've been doing that for about five years. I started back when film was in the world. Oh, film. I, I remember film. Yep. I was a film loader. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I Actually, that's how I got into the union. Uh, and then when digital came out, you know, film was axed down substantially. Um, and now I kind of just, you ever see that person who has like the slate and they go, you know, take four, clap. It's basically my job. <laughs> <laughs> so you were that guy when the uh, the cameraman is running and the cinematographer, he's yep. doing the DPs. He's shooting his movie yep. and he goes, I'm out. And he, he clicks the thing, kicks the box and he hands it. Yep. He doesn't even look. He just sticks his arm out with the film and you round up and grab it and yep. give him a new cartridge. Of give film. him a new film cartridge. But now it's just a new card, a new digital card. Yeah. Uh, and then we break it down and build it for whatever rig that they need. And uh, yeah, and that job in itself sounds simple, but it is incredibly diverse with the amount of jobs that I, I end up doing. Right, right. So, so you are a young man, it looks like. You look, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably in your mid-20s, I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm actually 29. You look 15. <laughs> so, I still get carded going to movies. <laughs> I bet you do. I would card you. <laughs> yeah. you uh, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Stockton. Stockton, California. Yeah, well, you know where Stockton is. Northern California. Northern California. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in beautiful suburbia Mm -hmm. in small Stockton. 
and I uh, was raised there for 19 years and then moved away. I think I know that's how far out. It's like 45 minutes outside of San Francisco or something like that. Uh, no, I mean, like, if you're driving up the 5 and where the 205 meet, it's about 20 minutes north of there with like Tracy, Lodi, um, Manteca. Okay. All that sort of conglomerate of little towns. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did, did they grow something there? Is it known for, like, some it's, kind of... Well, if you're driving up, there's a bunch of cows. Okay. So it's cows and agriculture that are surrounding it. Okay, okay. So... Got it. Yep. It's on the way to San Francisco. Yes. Okay. I know, because I know I've driven through it about it. Yep. Everybody's driven through a it. A lot of people drive right, through right, it, but right. nobody stops there. <laughs> so uh, we met because you contacted me. You were a fan yep. of the show, and mm-hmm. thank you so much yeah. for that. I always love to hear people from people who are listening to the show. Yeah. And uh, I don't hear from enough of you. If you're listening out here right now, send me a note, will you? Let me know. Well, let me know if you have any suggestions or guests or ideas and stuff. I always want to hear something. So thank you for writing. Of course. But also, you were involved in this uh, contest. Yeah, I John Taru. John Taru. Tell me about John Taru. And I'm sorry we didn't get you on before the voting ended. That's all right. I, I actually had just sent out this mass email to, well, not mass email, but like mass contacts to like radio shows and talk shows and then podcasts that I follow, I, I emailed as well. Um, and you had got back to me. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to promote my candidacy, yeah. But unfortunately, it, it ended. Um, but John True is basically a matchmaking website um, where where you don't really need to know where you're going. You just want to know what you want to do. So if you're like, I want, I have a thousand dollars to spend. I want to hang out with in the mountains on a romantic getaway. You know, what do you got? And then they just list a ton of destinations within your price range. Okay. Um, and it's usually based on like a two night, three three day stay, and you could obviously extend that. Um, and they're a relatively new company. So they've been around for about three years, and they really want to kind of get get their uh, wheels going to kind of get their promotions and spread the word about them. So they had this contest, and they're searching for a chief world explorer. And they would send them around the world for a year, pay them $100,000, and then they would make video content, control the social media, uh, write about reviews of where they go. Um, and so they sent it out, and about 3,000 people applied. Like they had videos for them, and I made it up to the top 50. Um, and so I was competing with people who had a much larger network than I did, like reality talent, uh, people who've been travel blogging for years. So I did a uh, Hugs for Likes campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the only idea I had. Uh, and I would just go to places and I had a little quick reference code of my site. Uh, and they would scan it and like it. Uh, and I went up to San Francisco. I was in all over Los Angeles, San Diego as well. Um, and unfortunately, it did not make the top five cut, which they have now. Right. Um, but with a twist of irony, I actually got called by um, one of the co- uh, my contacts at John Taroo, and they said they liked my video so much that I'm actually hired on to film the top five contestants in whatever location they end up choosing. So you're going to get free trips out of this yeah. either way. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's I, fantastic. I know. So my mileage account will be boosted. I'll get another stamp <laughs> of the passport, you know, um, and then I get to use my skills to uh, to do what I originally wanted to do, which was work for John Taroo. Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, you're welcome, John Taroo, for all the free plugs, and uh, <laughs> we're open for sponsorship, by the way. Yeah. I didn't know about this contest until, like, a couple of people wrote me about it because uh the blonde abroad yeah kirsten rich who also was on this show before yeah she was one of the finalists as well yeah. or one of the top 50 yeah and uh once i heard about it it was too late but then looking at i saw a lot of the um uh, submissions and uh, i realized i probably would have been if not the oldest guy submitting <laughs> one of them so i don't know if i would have had a shot but still it would have been nice to try to get that because yeah. it's an awesome sounding gig it's like a hundred grand right hundred thousand dollars and that's the salary, and then on top they pay for your flights and your hotels. That's nice. Yeah. 
That's a nice way to spend a year. It's like know. a one-year deal, right? One-year deal. Oh, um, man. Right now, the contract is being renegotiated, because, but it's going to be one year for however long they hire or whenever they hire their Chief World Explorer. So do you have any idea where they're going to send you yet? Or they... No, I okay. don't. They've kept it really top secret of where. Um, they just know that it's going to be somewhere in the world. I've seen the five finalists, <laughs> yeah. and I have my own preferences. I don't know if I should say them right now, but I mean, when are they going to decide the whole thing? When's the... When's... Um, they're, like I said, I, I don't have the final dates. That's something to talk with John True. Um, Give me the secret. You know who's going to win. <laughs> I mean, I have my own personal choices as well. Because like, when, when the top 50 were up, um, my girlfriend and I were like thinking of marketing plans and we all like were watching these people and we went by likes even though that didn't really determine right. it it's just that's how we judged it and so there's people that were like right around our like count and other people that we wanted to reach and so we I became very familiar with my competitors at that time, so I watched pretty much all the videos. Yeah, and it wasn't the guys that uh, got the most likes either. Were no. The it was just like they, they chose a pretty different range of people. Yeah. So um, I kind of like what they did with the five. I can see why they picked the last five. Yeah. No offense to you, but I can see what they were going for. Yeah. Um, so I think they made some, some good choices, and, yeah. they, and they are different in, in their own little way, so that's exactly. good. I mean, they're all engaging. They're all very, like... Yeah. Um, relatable characters I'm, I'm that was my guess and why they did it and i had my own five chosen that i thought would have john drew and i yeah. got three out of the five right <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna guess that you were one of the five i was one yeah. of them of course okay well enough about john drew that's that's their own thing but uh congratulations on at least uh see you never know what you're gonna get exactly that's pretty good though yeah. i mean so they're gonna pay for you to that's awesome yeah that's the best way to go, travel on somebody else's dime i know and it's fun because like i got like this small production kit that I my eventual job is like I want to travel and make like small documentaries around the world um, so this is going to be all your own equipment it's all my own equipment yeah oh, okay. and so I'm got it in a little backpack here and I have my computer that fits in there as well and I have editing software on it I mean it's nothing like advanced that you can do in like obviously a studio no but um, what you can do now techno yeah. technologically is, is incredible oh, yeah. in such a small little thing I mean exactly you know, like full high def and, and a small little handheld thing I know are you going to use GoPros and yep. stuff yeah. yep I have a couple of GoPros and I have a Canon 7D as well along with some uh, audio recordings well or, the big problem now is storage yeah you know, you're going to shoot so much stuff but you know that's your line of work you exactly. probably got cards coming out of your ass so you're stealing from work don't you <laughs> come on admit it well you know it doesn't doesn't hurt when you're working in an industry where you can obviously right. have stuff for your own gear so i've done trades and barters when i've done jobs where they're like you know we could give you this gear and i was like well you know that's worth this much money yeah i can do that all yeah. right <laughs> my biggest fear is, is like i always say because i take a lot of trips and i want to i want to shoot more stuff and yeah. more video and as soon as you invest in something it's obsolete next year that's yes. my biggest fear can you rent this stuff for a year is it worth it or do you just suck it up and uh buy the new thing or do you buy a used thing i've actually i've bought most of my stuff used because being in los angeles uh i don't have like 2500 to fork out for a camera body and i do i like the stills video mix because i also like to do stills photography yeah so i don't see the point in hollicking around a huge video camera if i can't take stills with it so the canon system is my favorite system right now um and the canon like mark three is 5d mark three is like three thousand dollars Wow. And just for the body, I was like, crap, that's so much money. So I wait about a year and I peruse Craigslist. And every now and then there's one guy who has like a production kit he just wants to get rid of. Yeah. So usually, okay, you would buy it and you would buy it for, say, 2500 but then you get three cards, two batteries, and a battery is like 60 bucks a pop. And then you add it up and you're like, crap, that's like a $3,500 package I can get for 2500 Yeah. So that's what I did with mine. I got a 7D about a year and a half ago. And I got three cards with it, two batteries, um, a couple other extras, a grip, which is a battery extender, all for like uh, 1200 And the body itself was going for 11 Wow. So, yeah. 
And now, of course, if I want to sell it, I wouldn't get that much money for it. But I've got enough use out of it. It's made my money worth it. But I hear from these, because I've shot like full-on commercials. And, you know, I've gone to the set, and they're using these little Canon handheld things. Oh, yeah. And they're shooting short films on these things that they're playing in you know, festivals and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. But this, somebody told me, uh, I'm not as technologically advanced as you are, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I guess they say they have the body... But the big money is in the lenses. Mm-hmm. That's the expensive stuff, yeah. right? And as a traveler, I stick with um, zooms just because you can obviously get so much more yeah. out of a zoom, um, except the light loss is quite greater than if you have a prime lens. Um, but like the zoom I have is a kit lens, meaning it came with the camera. It's always only like a $300 lens. Um, but you go from three or $400 lenses up to like $1,200 lenses. And there's there's no real in-between. So yeah. you really have to just kind of fork it out and get that and. Used lenses are a little bit different than used bodies because you don't really know if there's something inside you don't know that's broken or something like that. So I would err on the side of buying newer lenses uh, from like Sammy's or B&H or whatever. Um, but I actually worked on, let's see, it was Active Valor back in 2008. It was that Navy SEALs movie yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. with Shane Hurlburt who shot it. And that's when the 5D really hit the market. And so we would have this massive like 30-foot technocrane that can handle, you know, like 20, 30, 40 pounds on the end with this huge uh, 12 to 1 zoom lens on it that usually is on like the old school Panavision right. film cameras. So and then it's you like have a probably 5D. two feet long yeah, lens. Yeah, it's, it's literally two feet long. <laughs> lens element is about, you know, six inches in diameter. And they have a 5D body on there. And when it's launched and it's flying on this huge crane, you can't even see the body. And we're all like, where's the camera? Like, we had not seen anything <laughs> like this before. It was so weird. But he adapted the body so it could fit the mount of the lens. Um, and it still came out really well. Like, they just modified the 5D a little bit to, to be able to handle such high-quality lenses and such. Yeah. My next but, big thing is because I scuba dive. I want to yeah. do – have you ever done any underwater stuff? Yeah, I have. Okay. Um, I worked on a, uh, a surf documentary off the coast of Italy. Wow. And so we had a old uh, Airy 3 uh, splash housing. So we'd swim down with it and we'd shoot film underwater. How deep can you go? Uh, with the splash housing, you can only do about 15, 20 feet. Okay. Um, but the difference between a splash housing and an underwater housing is a ton of weight. A lot more support, and we didn't. Really, we knew we didn't want to go any deeper than that. Okay. Um, but it's still cool when you're swimming underwater and you hear the click, 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 click of the film. <laughs> <laughs> so that was film. It wasn't. Yeah. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, and it was like documentaries are pretty much unanimous uh, digital now. But the DP that I was working with, just he is a film guy. He owned a couple of film cameras, and he's like, if we want to do this right and have it stand out, we should need to shoot film. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about that. How yeah. many other uh, run down a list of the, the countries you've uh, worked in and traveled in over the years? Um, tra- I've worked in South America. I was on Miss Universe for in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, I've that must have been awful. <laughs> Actually, there were some pretty awful moments. Well, Brazil could be kind of perks. Tough, you know? Yeah, there were some perks, but it was in Sao Paulo, which wasn't the best city. I've to never be been. In. I've only been in Rio and oh. Buzios, but I mean, in Sao Paulo, it was yeah. massive. It's like 20 something million people. Huge. Oh, yeah. And the traffic there is almost worse than Los Angeles. Oh, I can't imagine. You'd go 10 minutes one way and it would take you three hours to get back. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was definitely interesting to work in another country. And I mean, we worked 40 days straight um, to get this show up. Um, but halfway through, we switched from one hotel to another. And like, because we, we were staying in one hotel, but the venue was going to be off site. So we had to move to the site of the venue and we had to work out of there. But they called in these hollowed out storage crates and that's what we worked in. And so <laughs> I'm in this corner. I'm like, you know, thousands of miles from home and I'm in this white walled air conditioned crate with bars in the window. And I'm like, this is not my ideal travel destination. Um, Any, anything gets stolen? 
Uh, did no. Did you lose any equipment? I didn't lose. No, we didn't lose any equipment on that one. Um, it was pretty tight because we were all locked off in the, sort of the back of this venue. Um, right. We had security and everything. Um, but the great part about that one was once it was done, I just talked to the travel coordinator. I'm like, push my return flight back like a week. And so then I traveled through Rio and then I went over to Falls de Iguazu uh, with a guy on the show. Oh, yeah. The, so that was fun. The, yeah, I went there. The falls are amazing. Oh, yeah. They're so cool. That was a blast. Yeah. So, I mean, so you know, when you're shooting something like that, like uh, like a Miss Universe. Yeah. How big of a crew were we talking there, and what was your job? Well, my job, actually, I was a production assistant on that one. Oh, um, so you were like... Yeah. Okay. I wanted to get on what's called the remotes crew, and the remotes crew is the ones that work all the cameras, and they go out with the contestants, and they like film the contestants. They're like, oh, come to Sao Paulo, and they had all these like beauty shots, and they would get to go all, <laughs> all over the... like around Yeah, the, which is the Sao crew Paulo. that goes to the beach, and yep. which is on the bikini. Yeah, that's the, the remotes crew. Oh, I see. And, and that's, yeah, you're right. That's what you want to get on. Yeah, so I wanted to get on there, but I, I wasn't... It just didn't work. They and you're in a shipping crate in And I have my shipping crate, like, punching paper. And I'm like, here's the pink paper <laughs> for the pink copies. And that's all I was up to. And I literally was like, uh, that's when I found a lot of travel bloggers because I was so bored at this job. Oh, and yeah. I just started, like, looking up and reading and sort of, like, fantasizing when I was supposed to be working. So you shot in so Brazil, yep. Italy? I shot in Italy. It was in Sardinia. We are on Sardinia for 30 days. And then we were on the mainland for 10 we shot in Rome. We shot in um, La Francia. We're in Crispinia, which is right between um, Pisa and Florence. Okay. We stayed on an Italian winery. Like, Ooh. pretty much when you think of Italian winery, and I'm like, well, this is what I imagine. This is exactly what that place was. It was gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, we were on uh, Sardinia for 30 days, and we were just traveling up and down the coast because in the Mediterranean Sea, the way that the weather works is you get the best waves just on the northern tip of Sardinia. And I didn't know there's a surfing culture, but it's very, very small. Yeah, I didn't know either. Exactly. And so they do have one um, pro surfer right now running through the youth circuit who's been doing pretty well. He was there. We had a couple other pro surfers visit us, and we're following one surfer named Chris Del Moro, and he was like half Italian, half American. So he was kind of like returning home after being gone for so many years, and that's when we picked up um, picked up his story. And so we went there, and uh, the weird thing about Sardinia is the surf would like, since it's a sea and not an ocean, you're going off of weather, not tides, uh, you would just all of a sudden have waves kick up. They'd be there for an hour, and then it'd be flat again. So it was kind of weird when we would go and post up some places and just start trying to film them, and there'd be great waves for maybe 30 minutes, and then there'd be no waves. And it was sort of like an optical illusion at times, because it was just weird. Um, but really we, aggravating if you're a surfer, really. It, I mean, it's just like you could spend all day, hey, we're going surfing today, and either you could get totally nothing. Well... The surfers we were with were just like – they were just excited to be in the water. So they could be happy no right. matter what. I mean, of course, they wanted great barrel waves and flying out there. <laughs> but they're like, it's raining. We're cold. We have our jackets. And they're like in their wetsuits like, yeah, let's go surfing. And they just run in there. We're like, these guys are crazy. Yeah. So um, – but yeah, so that was a fun job because the director would be on a camera, the DP would be in the water with a camera. He had a couple cameras. He had a Millikan, which is a 16 millimeter bomb camera, and it could shoot up to 500 frames a second. Like back in the World War II, they would have this camera, and that's the bomb sighting camera that they would use oh. to drop in. So he actually bought one, made a water housing for it, and then modified it to where it can shoot a lower frame rate. Um, and so uh, you lost me there. I don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, he he just had this, and so um, you say a bomb camera. Bomb camera. It? That means um, back in the the world, the war, you know, um, 
they would have a camera. They needed something to see where they're where the bombs are falling. Okay. And so they had this camera, which was the Milliken um, on the plane on the plane, looking straight down. Right, and then it okay, had they yeah. had little sights on the tops, and that's what they could use yeah, to sight okay. it. Yeah, but it was an actual camera. It wasn't just like a series of mirrors. Um, but these cameras could shoot very high frame rates because they were flying so fast. They needed to capture that many pictures. Um, I don't know how he was able to get this camera, but he just found it and he bought it. And then he modified it to where it can shoot a, a more uh, workable frame rate. Um, and so he made a water housing for it. It was all waterproof. And so then when their surfers would go, he would just hand them this Millikan from the water and they would like film while they're surfing really high frame rates. <laughs> so it was it was absolutely cool. Uh, I didn't get to load it because it's a very intricate um, path the film has to take. Since he knew the camera, he did that. Oh, God. Um, but he would do that, and then we also had a 5D water housing. We also had a um, – and then we had an Airy 3, which was a very large camera water housing. So it. I always look at these um, – by the way, what is the uh, name of this thing? Can we it's see it? It's called Bella Vita. Bella Vita. Yeah, it just opened up um, in an international festival a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. okay. So um, I don't know what the distribution is like, but um, I'm sure it will be out soon. This is the same director who did uh, Single Fin Yellow and One California Day, uh, um, Jason Baffa. Okay. He's, kind of, he's relatively known in the, in the surf community. Um, but yeah, this is his most recent film. I was wondering when I watch those surfing documentaries, you'll see every so often the the the, um, the surfer will go through and then you'll catch a sight of the cameraman. Yeah, and he's just floating in the water, and you're like, oh, he's going to run over that guy. He's going to. I mean, how to how long do you have to stay in the water? And are they just like got a life jacket? They're just floating, or are you just treading water? What are you doing? Uh, just treading water with a white, with a wetsuit. Oh. Uh, we were in the Mediterranean. That's be exhausting. Yeah, it is very exhausting. And um, I only got to go in the water twice. I was mostly just the support on land. But the times I did, um, the DP had the Millican I was talking about earlier, and then I had the 5D. And so basically you just have a top wetsuit, and he has little short swim fins. Um, and he had been doing it. Uh, the DP's name was Scott Kasanoff, and he's been doing surf for like 15 years. So he's much more experienced on that, and I was sort of just kind of fumbling around. <laughs> Um, but he was just really good. He was able to frame people's up shot or frame up shots. And as the surfer came by, he could get out of the way just the last minute and get a perfect shot of them going by. Um, and he just treaded water and stayed warm for a couple hours at a time. Oh my god! Yeah. And then you're like swimming out with a new film cartridge. Here you go, yeah. swim back. Oh no, he had to come in. There's no way to trade those out in the water. Um, okay, so we got uh, Brazil, Italy. Where else have you gone to, to um, shoot stuff? That was those are my only two travel jobs. Um, Everywhere else, I've just traveled for fun. Okay. Um, I took, I've been through Europe twice. Um, I lived in Ireland. I studied abroad in Galway. Oh, I've been um, to Galway. Yeah. I really enjoyed it out there. It was, it was one of my favorite experiences when traveling. Um, I am full-blooded American, but my ancestry traces back to Ireland. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, so, we all got a little bit. You know, we yeah. all got a little bit of something. So, Were I, they from, do you know if they were from Galway? I don't know for sure. They, they were part of the O'Connors. And oh, yeah. O'Connors are everywhere. I have O'Connors in uh, in my family. Yeah, sure. We were. I think we were from. Uh, where were we from? Uh, Kilkenny, Kilkenny area. Yes. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. And uh, so I went back there and I did a minimal research to try and find them. And I was like, ah, I'm traveling. I'll just say, yeah. I was here. I Everybody was knows an O'Connor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, what were you like? You were. How long did you stay there? I was only there for five weeks. Uh, it was a summer abroad, um, and I actually studied Irish culture. Oh, okay. um, I saved all my credits when i was in school and everyone's like oh yeah you know go to dublin with a bunch of american students i'm like i'm not going all the way to europe to meet americans yeah exactly so i chose a smaller program um and i was with like other there were other americans but they were like east coasters there was a belgian girl there's a french girl um and so we was only about 13 of us 
And uh, we just hung out there for five weeks, and we got taken around. We did horseback riding in the countryside, went to Dublin for a weekend, went to uh, Dingle Peninsula, Cliffs of Moher. Yeah, I've been there. You know, all the, all the good fun That's stuff. That's great. So. Did you... Uh... What year was this? This was in 2007. Okay, so yeah. this is after their economy took a tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. This is before everything took a tank. Well, yeah, everything. But uh, like Ireland was really flying high. When I went there, the only time it was like 2003. So it was what they called the Celtic Tiger or the Celtic Tiger. Yeah. Their economy, they really embraced the euro quickly. And they had a lot of, uh, you know, their economy was booming. Yeah. Booming. And then now it's completely, Tanks. you know, back to what it was. But yeah. I mean, they're really small you know, agricultural kind of society. And they yeah. kind of got really into, I think, I think it was like technology or computers well, Dublin, and chips or something. Yeah, recently, I think I was reading something about Dublin is now becoming like a manufacturer. Like they found it's cheaper to like build basic parts, ship them to Dublin, have them construct it to what it is, and then ship them back. Right. And so that's the kind of industry uh, Dublin is is starting to, to work in. Um, but as for that, that's the only other industry that I have, was aware of when I was there. Yeah, it's really small, too. Yeah. That was the thing. Like, I remember renting a car in Dublin and driving to Galway, and it was like two hours. Yeah. And I was like, I just drove across the entire country. Pretty much. That was nothing. It was like, pff, yeah, done. It's tiny. And <laughs> and I was not able to get to the north. I really wanted to check out the north of Ireland. But Me too. I didn't get there either. Yeah, everywhere we traveled, I was like, really, that's it? I mean, coming from California, you can drive eight hours yeah. and you still won't get to the top of the state. You forget how huge this country is. Ugh, I know. The... um. So you never been to Northern Ireland at all? I haven't. No, oh, I, I, I want to get to Belfast. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that seems like great because in my classes we studied about all about the um, the Irish separation the, and, the and the IRA troubles. and the troubles they had in the twenties, yeah. uh, and it was really interesting because that's one thing I feel we, we lack here in the states is we we are educated about like the Civil War and things like that, but there isn't a sense of of pride about being an American since we're such a melting pot of so many different cultures. Right. But you come to these smaller countries and everybody is like. Oh yeah, we're taught this. You know, we all taught Gaelic because that's our national pride, and everybody had so much more um, sense of individual or individuality and and uh, culture right. and pride. Well, we, I mean, Americans. I mean, they do have a lot of. I mean, there is a lot of rah rah and love for their country here. I mean, and that some envy. You know, like yeah. especially, I would say, like in uh, a lot of a lot of the British, I would say, there is the one thing they do envy about America because they just slag off in their country so much. Yeah. That to um, their own country, they do admire like they go see flags everywhere. They do kind of like there is some of that, and yeah. and they do admire the fact that that there are so many people from somewhere else. Somehow we hold it together as a country, and there we're not like completely breaking apart in a million different ways. Yeah, give us time. I mean, we might, <laughs> but um, yeah, but they're also. I found this in like Croatia and stuff. Everybody was really into being Croatia, like Croatian. You know, like if somebody married. Someone who was uh, Bosnian. That was like a big deal. Yeah. Whereas we can't tell the difference between any of them. You know? I know. Come on, look at you. <laughs> Your languages are almost exactly alike. You're just, you look the same. You, yeah. It just doesn't. But I think when you, you know, they were taken over, they were forced together and stuff. I think they're just, after the new independence, they're really about being, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Irish have to say, we're really Irish and not British. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so when, you, when you've been oppressed... You have more pride, I think, in it. And, I guess, you know, when you go through something like that, you do have a sense of yeah, more I of guess, a better sense of identity than us. We're just kind of sure. like hanging out here and haven't really had, in in the historical sense, that many crazy things happen to our country. Although Gaelic is tough, though. I mean, Gaelic was a rough one. I mean, I went I, down in like the Dingle Peninsula mm-hmm. and kind of they were, te- they were speaking it. Yeah. And uh, the signs would be there. And it, it is like no, 
you can't compare it to many other languages. It, it is a combination between the throaty Russian and Spanish is how I was able to do it. <laughs> because it's very like it's, – it's a nice flow and then every now and then that goes a – Yeah. And it's – and I, I remember because I took Gaelic courses and I was able to learn a couple things, nothing that really stuck. Um, but hearing it, spo- or hearing it spoken was just so hard to follow. Mm-hmm. So – but yeah, it definitely was an interesting language. Did you find that every – I found this all the time and that every time I would go through Ireland that I would say where I was from. I was from Chicago originally or now I live in Los Angeles. Everybody had a, like a relative that lived somewhere in America. Like, oh, you got to see my – I got a cousin in New York and Boston or whatever, Philly. They every, all know somebody. It was funny. I would always say I'm from California because uh, at the time I was uh, living in San Diego but I was like oh yeah I'm from California and they're like oh my god and the OC was a huge show on at the mm. time and so I was like oh do you know Seth and I was like what I was like who's <laughs> Seth and they're like you don't know Seth I was like no I don't know who this Seth is uh, and then I was like, well, hold on, what, what do you think California is? And that's always something that – that's when I really started to ask people the stereotype of Californians. And they're like, isn't it just like a beach, like five-mile strip of beach up it's, the coast? Exactly. I was like, uh, I need to educate you. <laughs> <laughs> There's northern – it really should be at least two states. Yeah. It really – I mean because northern California is way different. Oh, yeah. I mean I grew up there and when I moved to San Diego, uh, completely different. Yeah. Just – Everybody, I, you know, we have like 30, what, 30 to 33 million people or something like that. 33, 33, yeah, something like that. Which is bigger than most countries. Yeah. And our economy, I think, is like seventh in the world or fifth or something GDP. Yeah. On its own. So it's really, it's crazy how big it is. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, all the way up north, we have the timber industry. You come down here, we have the entertainment industry. In the middle, we have pretty much the tech capital, uh, one of the biggest tech capitals in the world, Apple up in Cupertino. Um, yeah, there's so. Silicon Valley in the north. There's lumber, and then there's uh, the the entire middle and northern part of the state. And the, in, inland is all agricultural. Yeah, and then the south you have uh, aerospace and and you know defense. Yeah, and the entertainment industry. Exactly. And it's just crazy. I know. And then you have you don't even forget all the natural parks and like yeah. Lake and Tahoe. Two senators. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the same amount of senators as North Dakota. Pretty much. Not fair. And this is why government doesn't work. Yes. Um, so, okay, so you, you did that in yeah. Ireland. Where else? Where else? Um, I've spent some time in Asia. Um, <laughs> actually, that's a funny story. I, in 2009, um, I wanted to move to Los Angeles. This, um, this will make sense in a second. Okay. Um, and, and it was about the fall and I was with this girl for, at the time and she like, I just had this terrible breakup. It was just like a very demoralizing breakup. And I was like, oh, this really sucks. Like <laughs> I just transitioned my life. And then I was living with some kids in San Diego and the same week they're like, so we're kicking you out. You have four days to move out. And I was like, are you uh, – and I was just like – I was so like dumbstruck. I didn't know what to do. Um, and so then my brain was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave and go to Asia for two months. And I was like, that, that makes sense. But I'm not just going to travel there. I want to crew on a yacht because I grew up sailing and I oh. hadn't sailed in a while. So I was like, yeah, I'll just find a boat and just fly over there and, and sail. You know, that's sure. completely boats logical. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? So – I found this captain. He was an Italian captain. Uh, and within two or three weeks, uh, I had a series of one-way tickets um, and a boat. And so I was well, like... Well, when you say you found this Italian captain, yeah. how does that happen? There was a, uh, a website Craigslist? called... Craigslist? Uh, FindCrew.net. <laughs> like, like, FindCrew.net. Okay. Uh, and then you just post up your where you want to go. And I was like, I want to go to the South China Sea. You know, I just want to go there. So I looked it up and there's a series of captains and boats with that their times fit uh, and emailed them. And this one got back to me and the boat was uh, called Kutura. It was a 44 foot catch. Uh, it's a two masted boat with uh, the wheelhouse in the middle. Um, 
and it was all cement, and it was with his wife. All cement. All cement. It was an all cement boat. What do you mean, cement boat? It was a cement boat. Yeah. How is that possible? It's well, you know, you have like your weight distribution. If it, you know, if it if it floats and it's cement, then it works. Okay. I don't know the the science behind it, but yeah, it was a cement boat. All and right. So I flew all the way one way to Miri, Malaysia, um, and got on this boat and was like. Hung out with a captain named Francesco and his wife Michaela. Um, <laughs> just the three of you? Just the three of us. Um, and they were. This just... is a potential for really weirdness. Oh like... yeah, and it it went in the direction you're thinking of. Okay. Oh oh, <laughs> go on. So, so we get there and we decided to to race in our yacht race called the Bordeaux International Yacht Challenge. And I'm unaware of this. I have no return flight. I'm planning on being on this boat for two and a half months because that's how much I could afford. And so we get here and we finally like we meet all sorts of weird cruising talent. You know, there's this like treasure hunter who would come in the dressed in slickers and we're in a tropical environment who actually has never searched for treasure. And then we have this <laughs> other um couple who are like late 80s. They have this beautiful 90-foot wooden yacht who just sail from port to port singing, being the night's entertainment for free um slip fees. <laughs> and they were actually really cool. And then Yeah, they sound great. Yeah, and then we just met like people who would just like expats who are on like a government disability who are just sailing the world um there's a whole boating community out is. there that i had no idea existed until i i talked to some people who were like sailors like you yeah and man it's just and they this is their lives and it's just like a whole they go to these little islands that you never heard of and they all know them but you know they're way off the beaten path yeah and it was it was just a crazy world I was not even ex- – I did not expect uh, to be introduced to. And so we start this race. And we were dry docked for nine days because I didn't know that they were doing repairs. So I'm stuck in this town for like eight days and Miri is a very, very small town. It had one Starbucks. So, you know, it's very small. This is in Malaysia. This is in Malaysia. This is South Malaysia on the island. Um, and so I went and explored some caves um, and I got attacked by leeches. Ooh. <laughs> and so – I like take off my shoes and they're all like these little flat things just wiggling all over my feet and I freaked out and the guy I was with just sprayed some sunscreen on them and they rolled right off. But uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was God. my first ex- or experience for Asia. Um, went to this massive cave that had like they would these guys that would climb up these boards and just scrape these um, nests off from the bat nests um, and they would I called it uh, what was it like bat's nest soup. Um, and that was a delicacy. But these guys would go up like a couple hundred feet just on these boards that are nailed together um, and then scrape it off with a stick and a candle. Uh, a bat's nest? Yeah. What's in it? I mean, it's, it's just like... I have no idea. Guano? Yeah, I think it's just guano and they put it in there and it's like... This, in the soup. In the soup. I'll yeah. pass. I'm yeah. going to pass on the bad guano soup. I did not get there in the right season, so I'm okay <laughs> yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we, we start sailing up this uh, coast and I had the 12 to 4 shift. So uh, we were, there were three of us, so we all took four-hour shifts at the helm. And so I was noon to four and midnight to four. Um, and so we're sailing up and uh, one night um, from midnight to four, uh, the horizon would just explode. Like I would just be sitting there and this whole horizon there would be a huge fireball. And I'm kind of curious of why this is, but as I find out later, we're off the coast of Brunei, which is a super oil-rich nation. Yeah, the Sultan. And exactly. So when you're extracting that, they have some sort of flammable gases that they need to be burned to well, the extract methane, it. yeah. Exactly. So I didn't know this, but all I'm sitting here is I'm in charge of this boat. I've been on this boat for 10 days. I hadn't sailed in quite some time, but it came back to me. And all I'm thinking, I was like, if I fall overboard right now, no one will ever know. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody was asleep, and the lifelines only came up to like mid-thigh. Um but as we proceeded in the race, we played a game I call I like to call You Know What I Hate. 
and the captain would be sitting here and he was a nice guy and he he'd been traveling for about three years on this boat and he's like you know what i hate and i'm thinking like ugly puppies or like you know belly button lint or something like that he's like all asians and i was like wow. what and he's like you've been here for three years he's like yeah you know what else i also hate my dad and my brother and hippies and he just starts listing oh, everything he hates boy. and he like this this mentality of this caption really starts to reveal itself mm-hmm. uh, and no matter what work i could do on the boat it was always wrong like we're we're sailing into Labuan, which is the middle part of the the trip, which is about middle Malaysia, uh, and we're chasing a typhoon. Like it's behind us, and we need to get into port. And so I'm on the bow trying to flake this sail, and it's like three, four, five foot seas going up and down, um, <laughs> which doesn't sound that big, but for me it was huge. Um, yeah. And so I'm flaking this this sail, uh, and I step on this like little eye ring, and I bruise my foot, and I nearly fall overboard. And the captain gets mad, saying I'm doing it wrong. Redoes it all, and then we try an anchor, and I'm dropping the anchor line, and he gets all mad. I'm doing it wrong, so he has to redo it. And so at the moment, I'm like, you know, I don't. I think I just kind of stepped on a landmine, and there was nothing I could have done about it. Um, and so anyway, we finish the race, and then we're sailing up north, and we go to this uh, marina called Kudat. And I'm scrubbing the hull, and he just comes out, and he's like, you're a stupid American. Get the fuck off my boat. Like, I hate you so much. Da-da-da. And I'm like, where did that come from? Wow. And so I was like, all right, I'm done. And after 23 days, I just walked away from this boat uh, and just got kicked off. And I had no return ticket. I had no plans for anything. I planned to be on this boat for, for you know, 10 now, weeks. You weren't getting paid for any of this? I wasn't. It was, a, it was an equal sort of like I would – Pitch in for gas and pitch in for food, and that was kind of what it was. You're just in it for the sailing? Just in it for the experience. Um, <laughs> so he's getting free help and yep. still doesn't. And like I got it. fired from being from giving free help. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe if he needed someone to change his film cartridges, yeah. you would have been all over that. I've been all on that. <laughs> So, <laughs> so what island did they leave you at? Kudat, which is still Malaysia, but it was the northernmost island, and there was no tourism. There was one hotel, and everybody else was like, I would walk through town, and just like, I had a guy follow me, and he, every time I'd look at him, he'd like hide, and then I'd continue walking, and he would like walk at my pace and just follow me everywhere. He never spoke to me. He, he would just hide and watch me. Yeah. Um, just and, fascinated to see the white guy exact, go through town. I was pretty much the white guy in town because the Italians were of dark skin because they were tan. Yeah. And I was <laughs> I was so white at that time. Wow. Like, any difference from what it is now. How'd you get out? Um, well, I did what anybody would do when they're in trouble. Uh, I called my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to say that. So I had this I had this international cell phone and I knew I had to get back to the capital because there was an airport there. Uh, Kuala Lumpur? Um, Kuala Lumpur. Or Kota Kinabalu. Mm, um, I don't know that one. Yeah. It's the... It's main, they have the international mountain climbathon there every okay. every year, um, but so I knew there is a capital and I had to get back there. So I called my mom and says, "Can you book a hostel there um, and let me know what you find out?" And then I was like, "I still have to find." There was no buses, there was no taxi services, there's nothing. So I just go to the center of town, hoping. And then these people would come up to me, and Kota Kinabalu would be called KK. And so they come up to me, they go, "Oh, KK," and they they point at me, and I was like, "Uh, sure." And they would give me a price, and I was like, "No." And then I had another guy come up to me, oh, KK, I drive KK. Oh, and they would tell me uh, this price. And so I just had these guys barter it out. And I was like, okay. And I just sort of stood there. And then there was a, a price of 25 ringgit. I was like, okay, cool. And then I had, it was about $8 American. Right. And so this guy was like, sure, I'll, I'll drive you. And so I get in his car, having no idea how long it takes. Uh, he had another guy in the car and we just start driving. And so I was kind of nervous because we're going through back countries in the desert or in the jungle. Like we're getting stopped by goats in the road. <laughs> Uh, 
And all I have is like, I have my passport, I have my money. If I if shit hits the fan, I can just jump out of the car right now. Right. Um, so he drops off this guy, and then he starts playing 70s like love ballads to me on his phone. Yeah. And he had like no teeth. And he's like, oh, yeah, you like this song? And he like scoots closer to me in the car. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. I Hopefully, we can just get there soon. And right this before, is Barry White. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so finally, we get there about three hours later. Uh, and then I just shipped a bunch of stuff home, ground. <laughs> oh, so it was about three hours? Yeah, it was about three okay. hours. Uh, we shipped some stuff home, and then I bought a book, a Lonely Planet guide, and just looked in it and was like, "All right, what do I want to do?" And uh, just that's when my trip really started. Yeah. So, so, so and okay, then I, this took so twenty three days on this boat. Yeah. You finally get back to this place. Uh-huh. Now you're at a, you're at an airport. Yep. And now you got a choice to make. Yeah. And how much time do you have? And now like like when you look at your funds. Because that usually determines, okay, how long do I got here? Yeah. So when you looked at your funds and figured, what do you got, a month? I had about six weeks. Six weeks worth of money. Six weeks worth of money. Okay. Uh, So I decided to climb Mount Kinabalu. Okay. Because I'm like, I've been on a boat for three weeks. I can definitely climb a massive mountain. That makes (laughs) sense. So I take a a van up there, and it's like an interview process because – the mountain is has a monopoly on there, and they have a hostel about two thirds of the way up. And so this company bought it all, and they jacked up the rates of the hostel like three hundred percent. And I'm like, no, I don't want to like I don't want to pay that. I can do this in a day. Don't worry about it. I can do it in a day. And so I had to get interviewed by this guy named Ranger John. His name was not John. No. And he sits back in his chair and he's like, so why you want to climb mountain in a day? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm in really good shape. I think I do. It's like, okay. Okay, and you like write, scribble something down. He's like, so you think you can climb mountain in a day? And I repeat myself. He's like, okay. So why do you think you can climb a mountain in a day? And like he just had this weird interview. Uh, but I got approved to climb the mountain in a day. Now, how high is this mountain? Um, it was – how high was it? I, it was 17.4 kilometers uh, round trip. So how high? I think it was about – Oh, started, round trip? We started, well, that's not too bad. If, we started at um, 18 – uh, 1,800 meters, and I think it was 4,400 meters. So I think okay. we climbed about 9,000 feet. So there's no big, like, uh, I don't know, altitude issues or anything like that? Or, well, I or thought it... there wasn't. Okay. But I came from sea level the day before, and then I get there that night and climbed it that day. And so from sea level to, you know, f- uh, 4,400 yeah. meters in, like, less than 24 hours is quite a lot. So I ended up meeting this British couple I had met at dinner the night before. I was like, oh, do you want to climb it with me? They're like, okay, cool. And so we ended up climbing it together. And the first two-thirds of it was fine. We got to the halfway house, I call it, which is the hostel. Um, we got there by 11. We started climbing at about 7. Um, a.m. A.m. Okay. And so we're like, we're feeling good. And then we had this guide. His name was Epson, like the printer. Uh, and so then you guys, he told us, he's like, okay, I'll meet you here. We're like, okay. So we take a break and we meet him at the designated location and he wasn't there. And so then we like, we see him. We're like, oh, cool. There he is. And so we sort of like, we're playing cat and mouse up the path after that. And then he just leaves us and we don't know where he is, but there's this rope that just leads into clouds. Uh, it was really foggy that day. So we just grabbed this rope and we're like, all right. And we just sort of would just see the next rope and start climbing. And about, I don't know, about an hour in, we start suffering from altitude sickness. Like oh. we start seeing uh, like these blue and black spots coming up and then our heart rates would shoot up and we couldn't breathe properly. <laughs> oh my God. But we were all so determined, determined to uh, save money <laughs> that we wanted to summit that day. So – um, we're we're going and we're literally on our hands and knees crawling on this rope and I can see the summit. And I was like, if anything, I'm just going to summit this mountain. So I finally get to the top and 
when you get to the top, there's a 3,000-foot drop on one side of it. Oh, God. And so when we first got there, we're super excited, and we're in all clouded in. There's nothing. You can just see clouds. <laughs> all We're so disappointed. There's no view. There's no, no nothing. view, but it's like it was a desolate moonscape with no plants. It was just rocks and peaks. Yeah. And we're like, all right, well, chalk this up as a loss. We step one step off the summit, and it starts to rain. And then it didn't stop raining for the rest of the day. And at this point, our guide was like, okay, well, you know how to get back. And he's gone. And well, we you finally caught up to him. Because he was waiting for us at the top. And we're oh, like, okay. you could have like told us. Uh, and then he's like, all right, guys, we'll see you later. And then we didn't see him for the rest of the day. And so we have to front of like navigate <laughs> our way back down. You're yelling at him, no tip, Epson. <laughs> I know. No tip for you, my friend. Uh, and so we finally got down. And they said that if we don't get down at 6 o'clock, they close the park. And, like, lock it, and we have to wait the next day. We're like, well, there's nowhere to stay. They're like, not our problem. So we're running down. We had to get down in five hours. Um, and it's pouring rain. And so we're kind of, like, hop-skipping on these wet rocks all oh. the way down. Uh, and we get there at 5.59. <laughs> Barely just made it. And so we got in this van, and they drove us to the bottom. And we had to walk up this last hill to our hostel. And the last – it was just po- it was just pissing down rain. Like, I've been in oh. showers with light- lighter rain than this. And we just start laughing because we're just like, nothing else could have gone wrong today. And the mountain's just pissed because we climbed it. In was one it day. cold too? It was warm, but when the sun goes down, it got pretty darn cold. Yeah. And yeah. you're wet. Yeah, wet. And nothing was dry. Everything was just soaking wet. Oh. Yeah. And that was. <laughs> Boy. And then, but you finally made it back. Oh, yeah. Made it back. How made good back. did that beer taste at the end of that? Best beer of my life. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually still keep in touch with that couple who who climbed the mountain. Yeah, so that's a choice you make in your twenties. I yeah. find out like like I would have done that the same thing. I was like, yeah, we can say I'm not going to pay ten bucks for this hostel or whatever it was. You know what I mean? Or for the record, it was it was 117 ringgit to climb it one day, or 400 to do it for two days. Okay, that's a big... so that's where we're like, all right, we're, we're yeah, good. we can do this. Oh boy, yeah, God, you must have been wiped. We were. And the next day, like, your legs, you could just waddle. Like, that's oh. the most you could do. Because we're doing, like, Stairmaster for, like, 6K, but these stairs are, like, mid-thigh. Right. Because it's all just rocking up and down and up oh. and down. And then right when we got down, the kind of – the funny part of it was we did this whole thing killing ourselves in 10 hours. And they have a na- they have an international climbathon where people run up this thing by choice. <laughs> And the top time was like two hours and two and a half hours. And we're like, are you kidding me? Up and back in two and a half hours. And we killed ourselves in 10. <laughs> so I bet it was Kenyans who did it or something like that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So what uh, – so you did that. Did you ever leave Malaysia or did you just um, – No, I left it? Malaysia shortly after that. Um, and then I went up to the Philippines, hung okay. out in Manila, um, tried to go to – or went to Lake Tall, which is a volcano in a lake with a volcano in a lake. Right. So, you know, like um, Crater Lake in Oregon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how it, it imploded and then there's a lake? Well, this one imploded and there's a lake, and then there's another volcano that imploded and there's another lake inside of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I went there, which is pretty cool, um, but kind of got tired of Manila really quickly. It wasn't my I was place. not a fan. Mm-mm. So I uh, jumped over to Caron, which was uh, in the uh, – what was it? Yeah. Like um, – what's the name of the call? Uh, I can't even remember the name of it now. But it's that little island in between the Philippines and the mainland. Um, between? Yeah. Palawan. That's it. Palawan. Who flew over to Palawan. Okay. Simply because the book said it was cool. And I was like, sure, I'll take a, I'll take a <laughs> risk. Um, and on the flight over, I met two Brits and two Germans. Uh, and I ended up traveling with them for 10 days. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. So we went to there. We did um, 
I had never scuba dived before, and so we decided, you know what's the coolest thing to do? Let's go swim through a World War II wreck. Yeah. So just basically signed on with these guys, got a very quick scuba tour, and then decided to penetrate a World War II wreck. Because I dove, I dove in... Um... Uh, in the Philippines as well, and I had been diving throughout Asia, and like progressively throughout Asia, they just checked my credentials less yeah. and less, and <laughs> like yeah. like uh, I would get. Uh, I've started the, the trip started in Israel where they I had to fill out ten times the paperwork. I'd, I've been diving for over twenty years, yeah. but still I I do a refresher course. It was a big hassle. Yeah, you know they asked to see my logbook, which I've never asked a, a, wow. anywhere. And then I moved on to like Vietnam. They they looked at my certification card once, you know. Yeah. And then it, then by the time I got to the Philippines, they didn't even ask. They're like, "Oh, you want to dive tomorrow? Sure." I could have been nothing. I I could have never have dove. Yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, whatever." Well, I was, no release forms, oh, no nothing. They're like, "Yeah, whatever." And the guys I was diving with were Patty Open Water certified, and they're like, "Do you have any idea what you're doing? How illegal it is?" And I'm like, "Nope." Yeah. So like, <laughs> I just admitted myself from that, but. uh I did tell them I was like I've never dived before I've like I snorkeled all my life but I've never scuba dived They're like oh no that's fine so the owner came out with us and they were they were legit like he showed me a couple things um, and I felt comfortable with it but the moment we dove into the wreck was exactly thirty three feet and I had trouble pressurizing oh, so yeah. right when I hit there my ears pressurized like with so much pressure and I thought I blew my eardrums oh. and I freaked out and so I was like under this thing and right when I hit the darkness and I was like scrambling so I swim out uh, and then I was like you know if my earring if my I did burst an eardrum might as well make it worth it so I decided to go back into the <laughs> ship <laughs> did you ever regulate I mean did you ever figure out how to yeah I did. Ears? it's just my ears hadn't I hadn't done that before, yeah. so afterwards they were fine. I mean, they they drained like I had a lot of earwax build up in there, so yeah, yeah that was kind of gross. Um, <laughs> Did you see any good, anything good down there? Saw a cuttlefish. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I never seen a cuttlefish before. Those were pretty cool. And then yeah. saw some octopuses kind of like running across the the bottom. But uh, no, the Philippines were so clear though. You can see for a good fifty, sixty feet, sometimes seventy feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just it's just crazy because we later went down to El Nido. Um, which is kind of in the center of Palawan. And it was a little bit off-season. It was in November. And so since there was five of us, we were able to barter a boat for two days. And so for a boat for two days with four meals for each of us, plus a camp on, a, on an island, it was 20 bucks. Oh, so, my God. Really? Yeah. We just got on this little uh, banca, they call them, which is a little thin boat with kind of like a trimaran. And we just went everywhere. They're like, where do you want to go? We're like, we want to climb that rock. Okay. They would nose the boat up to a rock, and we would like free climb up this cliff, uh, or cliff until we couldn't. We'd just jump off and fall right back in. Yeah, I saw somebody post a video doing yeah. that. Yeah, like, it's called deep water soloing. Deep water soloing, yeah. 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 I have so- a height thing, though. Even with the water, I would get a little nervous. Yeah, well, it's... I've rock climbed before, and I'm, it's not my thing. I... It was one of those things where I get myself in situations, and then before I've really thought about what I'm doing, I'm halfway into them. I was like, "Well, might as well right, just right. do it." <laughs> right. Uh, so, what's next for you? Where's the Where's the next big trip? Uh, Other than the okay, we got the John thing. I got thing. the John Trudeau thing. Um, I'm going to Mexico next year, um, probably February. Um, my girlfriend's Mexican, so I'm going to go meet the parents. Ah, I see. <laughs> what was, part of Mexico? Uh, Guadalajara. Okay, big yeah. city. Yeah. Have you been? I've been to Mexico City, and I've been outside of Mexico City before, and then also like the the border towns. But I don't really like the border towns. No. How's your Spanish? Um, not very good. No, I'm no, actually learning. No es bueno. No, 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 no bueno. bueno. No bueno. No bueno. Uh, no, I'm learning Spanish every day until I meet her father. <laughs> yeah. See, that's one thing I really want to learn. I, I, I want. I'm. A, 
I gotta spend a few months someplace living there and yeah. just like suck it up and learn. Yeah, I tried mm-hmm. listening to like Spanish radio and stuff, and it, it helps, but I'm not anywhere yeah. close to conversational. So. <laughs> Watch the TV. Yeah, pretty Sabado much. Gigante. Like <laughs> some guy in a bee costume yeah. <laughs> runs out. Oh, me a stomach <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's next, and then I also am in plans for a world trip. So. I've like, always, um, I'm getting older. I'm not going to get any younger, obviously. Oh, shut up. So, you're getting know, older. Right? It's weird. Oh, what an ass. Um, so I'm trying to do, I want to do a, uh, the girlfriend and I are planning a, a world tour leaving in 2015. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are going to do a reposition cruise, actually, to start it off. What does that mean? Um, every year, like the cruises, I didn't know about this either. The cruises, they um, need to go from the Mediterranean to the Bahamas, or the Bahamas to the Mediterranean. Okay. So they take the ship and they just sail it across the, the, the Atlantic. ocean, the Atlantic. Um, but they call them reposition cruises. They're usually drastically reduced because they have to get the ship there anyway. Um, but it's a one way. You just got to get your way home. You just got to fly yeah. back. So we want to take a ship off somewhere off the East Coast and we want to go somewhere <laughs> over okay. in, in either Europe or Baltic Sea or anywhere, Mediterranean Sea or anything. So I'm guessing spring and fall are the times these go? Doing spring, yeah. Um, March and April is usually when they go and then they come back in September. Right, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we're going to go over there and then where it drops us off is where we're going to start our planning. Um, and we're going to start there, probably hit a couple places in Europe because both of us have been there quite a lot. Um, but I haven't been to like Eastern Europe and nowhere in like Romania or Croatia. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you would love it. I know. I really, I've only been to uh, Czech Republic um, and that's pretty much the farthest east I've been. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been to Greece and, but that's it. Like uh, anywhere else around there. I want to go to Turkey. Um, Turkey's great. Go yeah. to go to Budapest. Too. Yeah, I hear great Budapest, things about awesome. Budapest. It looks great. Yeah, in Croatia, I just got back from. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah. I just heard your uh, your podcast. Oh about. yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's cool. Oh, with Bruno, the yeah. winemaker. Yeah, yeah. Stop yeah. by and see him. I'll, yeah, I'll hook I, well, you up. Definitely, it was cool. Have you traveled with your girlfriend before? Um, we've done small day trips in California. Okay. We're gonna do a test trip. Yeah, you gotta uh, do before we go <laughs> before you do a full on around the world that because that yeah. will test the relationship. It definitely will. So we are both aware of that. We've read a lot of uh, information about couples who travel and kind of like the, the stress that'll be on the relationship. Yeah. But uh, so far, we've we've been in stressful situations just traveling. Like uh, we've driven up to San Francisco and we've like had very many, many episodes of things <laughs> yeah. where like this could test us and we end up doing all right. Can she rough it? Like, I mean, camp if need be or um, something? That's on the trip. I, I'm a big uh, backpacker. Like uh. I like uh, – I spent a lot of my youth actually backpacking the U.S. Uh, in the wilderness doing things like that. Oh, you, really? Yeah. You read Into the Wild and you were out. Um. Pretty much, yeah. And I was out. So um, I did a couple outward bound trips, um, which is uh, – I did three weeks in Washington when I was 17. And that was like okay. my first trip away from home, uh, first trip in the wilderness. We're out in the wilderness for 19 days straight. Yeah. Outward uh, bound is hardcore stuff. It is. It is not like – It's not my thing. My brother did it. to I you. Didn't do it. Yeah. It's like put on this pack that's a third of your weight and let's hike up this hill. And I was like, what? And I'm a – twig boy of 17 yeah. <laughs> you know hiking up and we hiked up for three days straight to this pass uh nearly you know of course me being 17 this is the hardest thing i've ever done of course um the guides are kind of like looking at their watch like all right well come on guys we got time you know we gotta gotta move um but it's the hugest accomplishment for me uh and i was so amazed at what sort of like the natural world had to offer i called outward bound again and i was like what do you have that's longer and like we have a, a 78 day course and I was like, cool, how much is it? They're like, it's $8,300. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And I'm, I'm 17. Like, I've never seen that much money. Right. Uh, they're like, but we have scholarships. We have uh, these things that you can, you know, that can help you. 78 days. 78 like days. two and a half months. It is. It is. That's your whole summer. This is actually, it's ironic. Um, 
in a couple days is the 10 year anniversary since I've done that trip. So, so this was like a, a summer. Was, this, this is what you did like summer yeah, after high school. or something? I left September or early September. I took a semester off of college and did this. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I worked for a year, uh, flipping burgers at in and out saved up, uh, $5,300. I got a $3,000 scholarship from outward bound. Oh, great. Uh, and I was able to go. And so and it was funny cause I went to my parents. I didn't tell them anything. I went to them and I said in, I think it was in April or May. I was like, just so you know, I'm leaving this fall. Here's everything that's already done. And they're, they're kind of like, what? I was 18 at the time. I turned 19 on the trip. Uh, and they're like, you, you did all this? I was like, yes. So I might need some more gear, so let's go shopping. <laughs> and they were just like, all right. And so we did uh, a month backpacking in Colorado. And we did uh, three weeks rock climbing in Joshua Tree. We did 14 days canyoneering in Utah. And then we did a section of the Colorado River, learning how to guide rapids. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is an outdoor leadership program. It taught you how to lead in the outdoors, told you a lot about leadership. Um, so as a 19-year-old, this is like a very – definitely a changing experience for me. I learned a lot about myself. It pushed me to the physical limits. And it's really interesting when you're in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm in pain. My legs hurt. I can't move. And the instructor's like, okay, we only call helicopters if it's life-threatening. You're not life-threatening. You can either sit here and wait for half an hour. That means you're going to be half hour late to camp, or you can just keep moving. And those are your only two options. There's nothing else. Yeah. And you're like, all right. So you just bite through the pain, and you just continue walking. Um, and, you know, after like, you know, we did 16 miles one day, and I weighed 130 pounds back then. <laughs> and I had a 70-pound backpack. And it's just like when you – are pushed that far and you know that you can make it, you're just like, holy crap, I thought I couldn't. Now the whole world has really opened up to me of what I'm capable of. Yeah, you get surprised when you, oh, you yeah. realize what your body can do. I yeah. learned that when I did a marathon. It was just like like six months earlier, I was like, you, I could never. I never could do it. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, I guess I can do it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what was the scariest thing that happened on that outward bound thing? Um, there's a couple things, actually. Um, I fell. I took a hard fall. Um, we're rock climbing up this face, um, and static and dynamic ropes. Static ropes mean that if you fall, there's no give to them. But right. dynamic ropes, they're they're very stretchy. They have bungee cords and and um, underneath them, and so we have these things called P cords, and they're a way a knot that you can tie that you can move it along. But if you slip, it tightens and it tightens, grabs the rope. But I'm walking up with my backpack on, and I felt I'm slipping, and I said I'm falling, I'm falling, and there was nothing really else I could do, and I just fell backwards off this cliff, um, and I like swung and hit my knee, oh. um, and then. Again, a situation where you have no choices. You're like, okay, you can dangle here and complain about it or you can try and get off. So I knocked my, my knee pretty good. Um, but it was just that feeling of no control and know that the safety line might not help you because we just attached it to the rock. Um, that was one of the scarier moments. Another one was we were hiking up this pass called POS Pass. It was a piece of shit. It was like <laughs> it's just mud. It's It was raining. It was it's windy. And we basically have to traverse this – tiny little ridge line and you get knocked left and right from wind because you're right it's kind of like this trifecta of this valley um and so as we're walking where i kind of just veered to the right a little bit and the wind physically knocked me to the ground and i've never had wind that strong before and it knocked me to the ground and it hit my hit my shoulder and i'm looking straight down to me it was you know into hell because <laughs> it was as far like i would have never survived it um but that was just like one of those moments where you're like i just want to crawl i just want to oh. get off this rock that was definitely pretty crazy. Um, I fell out of the raft in a rapid. Oh. We're doing a – what was it? I think it was like a class three, and I was guiding it. And so I'm at the back of the boat, and they taught you these little paddle moves to sort of control it. And there's one where you – like it's called a pry move where you have it on your hip, and you pull the bar toward you, and it pushes the paddle out, and that's able to get more leverage to control it. But I didn't secure my feet, and so I pulled it and – 
right over the back oh. of the boat. And freezing, this was in November in the Colorado, so it was oh. damn cold water. Yeah, so, I just did a rafting trip in the Grand Canyon there. Yeah. And that was, that was great. I loved amazing. it. amazing. The Grand Canyon is, I've done three sections of that river. Uh, and it's just, every time I go there, it just blows my mind how the formations of the rocks, the colors, um, how the water at one moment can be nice and calm and then it wants to destroy you the next. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Man, you've seen a lot in a short period of time. I have, yeah. And I, it was that, it was interesting. It was that trip, the the one I, uh, that word bound trip when I was 19, that really sort of like, I came home and I'm like, this this home for me is not what I want. Like I come to my friends, they're doing, they're doing their own lives, you know, they're either settling down, married, have jobs or whatever. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I want to see more of the world. And so that's when I called up my friends and see who was abroad and found one that was in Austria. So my first international trip was when I was 20 to Austria in March. And I hadn't been abroad before. So I was like, cool. It's like California, right? <laughs> show up completely unprepared. It's snowing. We get caught in a blizzard. You right. Know, all this stuff. And, and I came home. It was 11 days. And I did five countries. And then I come back. It was my spring break from school. And I come back. And I was like, this, I knew that was solidified for me. I was like, I knew that I have to see a lot of the world before I, you know, settle down or whatnot. What do you think all this travel and everything else has, has taught you as a person? And like, how has it changed you and the way you look at life? Um. It definitely gives me a perspective of I am capable of so much more than I thought. Um, I, so I don't know about you, but sometimes just working day in and day out doing something very similar, your mind gets used to that. Um, and you sort of like built these invisible parameters about what you're capable of. And then when I'm able to go away and I'm really pushed and I go through a struggle and some of my worst travel days are better than my best home days because I can make it through it and I come out with a great experiences. Um, and I'm really just able to carry on conversations and see how the world works and just reminded that I'm not the only person in my world. Um, so I guess in, in conclusion, it's just that it really just stretches me. It pushes my horizons. Um, and I just, yeah, that's a kind of a rambling there, but I just, <laughs> Uh, it's so hard to sum that up into one sentence about what I learned. It's just I continually love it and I just want to continue doing it because I know I can't travel this way for the rest of my life. You know, I want to have a family and all those things. So. Oh, <laughs> you got plenty of time. Around. That's the beauty of being a <laughs> yeah. guy, my friend. Yeah. I'm still waiting. I'll settle down eventually. But then you realize how big the world is. You're yeah. like, oh, it's man. massive. Every time I go, I was like, oh, I'll just do Europe. And you can't do Europe <laughs> no, in three you months. You, yeah, no. I mean, I've talked to people who spent 10 years in Europe and not even hit every country. Well, then, you, but also your your type of travel changes. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, when I was traveling in my 20s, it was about seeing more and more and more and more and more. And then you realize you're just blowing through places and not really getting a feel of the place. Yeah. You know, and so you, you want to deepen the experience. And all of a sudden, you know, you kind of slow down and let me take it in a little bit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or you realize that, uh, you know, I can come back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't have to be just the one time. Yeah. You know, and just soak everything in. You just, you know, I like this place. I'll come back. Yeah. See a little bit more of it. The, you know? the problem I ran into is when I did my second tour through Europe is I was like, oh, my God, I want to see everything. And so you're like hitting off. You hit yeah. Rome. You go to five Coliseum, countries in five all days. All these things. And then you realize, like, I just basically drank and ate in every country, but I didn't really see. Yeah. I didn't really do anything. Snapped a lot of photos, and then you exactly. know I've seen 800 churches, and I don't even yeah. know where I'm at anymore. And that was great with my my last time to Italy was like we were stationed in one place, and so we really got to know the area. We really got to know people, and then they would like Italian culture is like, oh, we know you. We got to, cool. Now you're invited for dinner. We'll take your whole family. We'll cook you a massive meal that lasts nine hours. You know, you'll yeah. eat 19 courses. Um, but 
those experiences, you're like, oh, this is like, so yes, I only did get one pin on my map, but like that pin was much more important than that one pin I just did when two days in Copenhagen sort of thing. <laughs> right. Um, and that's the kind of experience that I want for my next trip is to really sort of like travel slower. And that's a lot of advice that I've been reading that people give is just, you know what? Yeah, the world's there. It's going to be there, but travel slower because it's much more uh, worthwhile to get uh, an amazing experience in one place than mediocre experience in 15. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. I appreciate you coming by. Of course. I had a great time. Yeah. Good luck on the John Taru thing. Thank you. I'll keep you posted on it. Yeah. When do you leave so, on this? I don't know yet. They they didn't have dates. So um, my guess is within the next couple months. So, All right. Yeah. Where can people uh, – do you have photos up anywhere? Do you have I, any kind of films? Yeah. I have um, – I'm plug? Constru- I gave my website a complete other uh, – facelift right now so it's a construction but it's trackingtaylor.com trackingtaylor.com and then uh instagram facebook tracking taylor uh twitter tracking taylor as well awesome so and if they're ever curious about the work i do i run a website called setiquette so there's a setiquette facebook account i'll spell that Uh, that's etiquette but with an s in front of it Ah. so proper set etiquette would be got it setiquette so um i have a bunch of pictures up there kind of the jobs that i've done and everything that i'm up to um, and I run the Facebook and I'm working on the website right now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was nice okay. meeting you, man. Cool. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, Jonathan Taylor, everybody. 